Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. When you get it all right and then, yeah, you have that sort of feeling where you, the car's just sort of almost floating on the road and yeah. you, you, you're one step ahead of it. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's an incredible buzz, but then you add in the challenge of it all, the teamwork aspect, the sort of adventure of it. Yeah. Um, there's, there's so many elements. In this episode, I speak with rally car driver Molly Taylor. Molly was born to drive and has incredible drive to succeed. Her family is synonymous with rally driving. Her mum, Coral, a trailblazer for women in the sport. But Molly has made her own mark to now be a world champion and the best female rally driver in the world. You have to have a special sort of skill and courage to drive a car hundreds of kilometres an hour on multiple services through forests and bush, racing the clock with just your co-driver telling you through your secret code what to expect at each corner or section of the race. It is something else and can be incredibly dangerous. But Molly soon became the first female and youngest ever to claim the Australian Rally Championship. It followed years competing overseas after Molly backed herself to travel to Europe to follow her rally dream. She started sleeping out in a barn, but finished having competed on the World Rally Championship, was a World Rally number one international female rally driver, was crowned the British Ladies Rally Champion twice, and European Ladies Rally Champion. A FaceTime with former Formula One world champion Nico Rosberg saw her compete in the inaugural Extreme E Championship, which she took out and was crowned world champ. Then earlier this year, she competed for the first time in the iconic Dakar Rally. Picture two weeks, 8,000 kilometres in the desert, no air conditioning, no directions, no pit crews, no GPS. She's only in her 30s, but already a trailblazer with her name to be revered and admired in the sport for generations to come. But it was horsepower of a different kind that Molly was obsessed with as a little girl growing up in New South Wales. What was little Molly Taylor like growing up? Little Molly Taylor. Uh, I was obsessed with horses. Um, I was pretty loud, um, energetic and yeah, just, I think generally, generally happy. Talk me through horses. How horses? Are your family into horses? No, I have no idea where that came from. Mm. Uh, I think I watched The Man from Snow River and that was my favourite. <laughs> still is the best movie of all time in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I, I honestly, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I just, yeah, loved, loved horses growing up and that's, that's kind of all I wanted to do for the first 15, 16 years of my life. You competed in equestrian at national level, didn't you? So you weren't just pony club, your local pony club. You were doing quite well, weren't you? Uh, yeah, we did. You know, I was at school at the time, so I was sort of in the, the school uh, competitions and, and representing on that side. Um, I mean, I wasn't, I, I don't know if I was as, as amazing as I wanted to be. <laughs> um, we did reasonably well, but um, yeah, I probably, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I mean, who knows? But I, I did absolutely love it. Um, yeah. I was reasonable. I don't think I was, you know, at that top, top level. <laughs> did you think about Olympics and things like that? What was your dream with yeah, horses? That, or did you just want to be a Jillaroo <laughs> and not the rugby league Jillaroo, like a Jillaroo oh, yeah. in the oh, Yeah, I had, um, I went to boarding school actually and a couple of friends had um, big cattle stations and going out to their place on <laughs> weekends was just the best. But yeah, I wanted to, to be an uh, Olympian in eventing was my Dream as sort of a little a little girl and sort of the first part of high school. That was that was my big dream. Do you know what we've had an eventing um, Jade Finlay on before, and I mean it's almost like rally driving on <laughs> on horseback, isn't it? If you haven't listened to that episode, it is totally. just mind boggling. Yeah. But if anyone said, you know, do you think you'd be a a dressage, I would say no for you, but yeah, yeah. eventing, I think, would definitely suit you. I was rubbish at dressage. You. I think that's where it all fell down. I had zero patience for, <laughs> for that component. So what about cars? Tell me about that because obviously you come from a motorsport family, but were you one of those girls that got in and um, into the mechanics of it and got into the garage and were pulling apart cars and things like that? Yeah, so I grew up totally around it um, and went to a lot of events and my my dad competed sort of more as a like a high level hobby. Uh, when we were younger, he didn't compete as much and it was mainly my mum was doing it professionally mm. full time. So we would go on to the national events and, and watch her compete. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess for me, it all started, my dad was running a rally school around the mm. time that my sister and I were getting our licenses for the road and uh, it was really a driver training exercise. 
So dad actually bought a an old uh, Datsun <laughs> and had it in, in the shed at home for years when we were little and it was kind of there in the back and he, he didn't want to ever pressure us to do any particular thing and just sort of want to open the door and see what we mm. we found as our passions. And uh, so we kind of just walked past it for years and years that didn't really even twig. And then uh, he said, you know, you're getting your license, want you to learn some car control and, you know, how to how to manage a car so that when you're on the road, you're not trying to learn that as well as navigate everything else that is on the road. So um, we went and did the rally school and that was the first time that I really had an experience behind the wheel of a rally car. And I just loved it. So... <laughs> Um, then it kind of went for there and I sort of turned around and said, why didn't you, you know, make me do this sooner? <laughs> um, yeah, so it kind of happened. It was never sort of setting out to be, do I want a career mm. in co-driving or driving? It was just, you know, practice some driving and then yeah. through that it just all happened. And that was it. You sold your horse, <laughs> bought a car. <laughs> yeah, traded one horsepower for a, a, a few more. <laughs> I think it was about 60 horsepower, my first rally car. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, it was like, I mean, they're both very uh, time-consuming and very involved sports. So it's, um, yeah, not really possible to try and combine the two. So um, I think mum to this day, she says at that point, if if someone had said, what will she do? Mum would have said 100% horse riding. Mm-hmm. So she was, she was really surprised actually when I changed it. I, yeah, I don't really know why it was, it was a pretty easy decision from my end. I just want to touch on your mom because she's an incredible trailblazer <laughs> in yeah. riding and in this motorsport in Australia, isn't she? Yeah, she is. She is. And I don't think I fully appreciated that until a bit later on, because when you grow up, it's just normal. That's what your mom does. And you don't really appreciate <laughs> that she's quite unique. But I mean, motorsport is still a male dominated sport, but back then even more so. So she started co-driving when she was 18 for my granddad and was just really, really good at it and uh, worked her way up and, and was yeah full-time co-driver for, for 25 years, uh, four-time Australian champion. And just, yeah, well, I think for me, it was Yes, she was, you know, a woman in a male-dominated sport, but she was just really, really good at her job and she had all the respect of everyone around her and she was just one of the boys, really. She didn't get any any different treatment in in that community because she was just really well-respected for who she was. Did you? she ever talk about some of the challenges that she had to go through during that era? Yeah, I think she doesn't... Um, I suppose she doesn't really talk about that that a lot. I think it's just always been for her about getting on getting on on with the job and she's mm. always been so fixated for that but I think certainly when we were when we were little uh and she was away for half the year and and my dad would work from home a lot mm. uh to yeah do all this sort of day-to-day stuff and I think definitely when we were younger there was probably challenges for her in so far as mm. being away so much and and worrying about that side but then when she was home and all the, you know, the school's groups and the, and the mother's group, she was definitely, um, yeah, d- different and mm. and sort of feeling like, uh, you know, what should she she be doing because she was doing something so different to what everyone else was doing and that perception and and wondering if, you, if you're ultimately doing the right thing. And mm. um, yeah, I think there's, there's an amazing um, article, newspaper article that someone wrote uh, years and years and years ago and the, um, the headline was Australia's Fastest Housewife. <laughs> <laughs> so we we definitely still love like to remind her <laughs> of that one. But yeah, I think it was challenging to try and juggle all of that and yeah. feel like, you know, knowing what the right thing to do was. And yeah, um, yeah she often says, you know, I used to worry about going away so much and how that affected you girls. And uh, so I, to be honest, the only, I don't really remember it. Mm. <laughs> the only thing I remember is she used to bring back really cool stuff. So yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> did she feel like it was a net positive? No. <laughs> Now, she was the co-driver to Neil Bates. Yes. Um, and they were an incredible force in rallying in here in Australia. But did that mean then that you had a close relationship with the Bates family? Yeah, totally. They uh, really is is like a second family and um, uh, Neil's sons are, are very close and Harry, his older son, is, is, is effectively like my brother. We've mm. grown up um, together. So we're incredibly close and I think that that kind of relationship in the car with the, the driver and the co-driver and the trust and the amount of time you all spend together. We really like two families, but, you know, very much it's like a second home. And when I started competing, Neil 
having his experience and him as a mentor has been something and still is something that, uh, you know, I really, really value and has been a big part of my career too. Mm. Um, can we stop now? And for people who don't know rallying, um, <laughs> take me through the sport. What is it? When yeah. someone says, what do you do? How does it, how does it work? Our race work. So rallying, if you think of something like the Tour de France, the bike mm-hmm. race where they over a number of days do a whole heap of stages, so a mm-hmm. timed point A to point B, your time, and then it gets added up to another stage and another stage. That's effectively what rallying is. So unlike circuit racing when you're at a racetrack, we're in the middle of the forest uh, and over a weekend we might have up to about 300 kilometres of different stages that are all added up. So they have closed roads. It's every driver goes at a, a time interval of, mm-hmm. of one or two minutes. Uh, and so then you basically go as fast as you can on this bit of uh, closed forest road and then drive to the next one and, and try and do that for the for the whole weekend. So a lot of different challenges, um, as you were saying before, we've got the driver and the co-driver. So because it's all uh, on unfamiliar territory, um, you have a navigation system to try and help navigate you through that that road as fast as you can but yeah so many unknown elements and you know every time you're sort of hitting a corner you're hitting that corner one time and then you're on to the next one. What surfaces are we talking about? Uh, Mostly in Australia it's gravel Um, but yeah we we do everything gravel, tarmac, mud, snow, not so much snow here but overseas. Yeah yeah, so mainly gravel for our domestic rally championship. And how fast are you going? Um, Depends on the car. Um, It's actually it's about 200 k's an hour. Um, which hmm. in sort of compared to a, a circuit car doesn't sound, I mean, it, it's fast in the forest, <laughs> um, but basically the way that our cars are engineered is for acceleration. So we have the the gearboxes uh, are designed for to be really close so you don't get a huge top end speed, but you get really good acceleration up to that speed. Mm. Um, I've seen them go around corners and it's full on. Yes. But you talk about the navigation <laughs> being like your co-driver. So they have notes and they sit there with just notes and yep. t- and tell you what's coming up, yeah. what corner's coming up. Exactly. How, what what language are you speaking? Because <laughs> if I can now, you go now. That would be my language. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's called pace notes is what we use. Mm-hmm. And basically they are a description. So before the race, we'll get there a couple of days early and we'll do what's called reconnaissance. So we'll take just a normal road car at 60 kilometres an hour, we're not allowed to go faster than that. Mm-hmm. And we drive over the road and the driver will say, dictate essentially what they see to the co-driver and the co-driver will write shorthand what what we say to them and they basically then say it back to us. So at 60 k's an hour, you've yeah. uh, essentially got to judge, you know, if you're going over a crest and you've got, you're judging what speed you're carrying over that crest, if there's a corner coming up, when you think you're going to be need to break and how to describe how to go around that corner as fast as possible in one or two words because you don't really have much time. So how, what would you say? Much more. So I use a, a numbering system. So basically from one to six to describe generally what angle the corner is or how mm-hmm. fast the corner is, or the direction, right or left, <laughs> Yeah, which is <laughs> quite important. Uh, and then any other sort of descriptions that help you carry the speed. So it might be uh, if the corner has a late apex or if it narrows or if it opens or if it's a really long corner and it tightens at the end and you have to try and describe it's, you know, a, a five right, which would be, you know, a, a fifth gear corner, but it goes for 30 metres and then it tightens to a two, which might be a second gear corner. And So how would they say that while you're driving at almost 200 kilometres an hour? <laughs> so that type of corner would be five right over 30 tightens two. Wow. Would be the... Um, that, cool. that pace note. It's almost like a code, right? It's completely a code. And then the unique thing is it's different for every driver because that that's how I see it, but yeah. that might not be how another driver sees yeah. it. So it's not even a standard system you can apply across everyone. Huh. Um, so yeah, it's quite... Uh, it must be thrilling. What happens when someone says a wrong code? If you yeah, it's all so bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's not good. Because um, you're literally going... I might that almost be like different sides of the brain, right? Almost what you're seeing and reacting to as opposed to what you're hearing as well. I don't know. I'm yeah. Thinking yeah, and, and that processing... That code would have been... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's sort of you, you're hearing it and then you're forgetting it and then thinking about the next thing. And then it also might be... You know, you might have done the reconnaissance in the dry and then you get there and it's wet. So yeah. you've got whatever elements might be there or someone might have pulled a rock out or so. So it's not, you've got to take what you hear, but then also apply that to what you see. Yeah, that's tricky, um, right? So it's, yeah, it's never, never the same. And that's where the the trust and that relationship with the co-driver yeah. and the driver is so important because 
where, I mean, the, the co-driver obviously has to trust the driver because they've yeah. got no control. So that's a huge element of trust. But then on the flip side, if, if the co-driver says flat crest and they're at the wrong spot, yeah. then, then yeah, you're, you're trusting what the co-driver says. Because they're looking at their says. notes, not yeah. necessarily what's in front of them. Yeah, exactly. Well. They're, they're looking up and down, but in some places when it's really busy, a lot of it, they incredibly, I don't know how they do it, but are feeling it through the seat. So, um, wow. yeah, it's, they are, they're another breed. That's insane. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely insane. What do you love about it the most? Like, is there a certain part of rallying and a race that just lights your fire? Yeah, I think for me, and probably when I go back to when I first drove a rally car, it was that sensation of the car sliding underneath you and sort of drifting the car around. And I just love that that feeling. So (laughs) it's pretty specky too, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It looks really cool. Uh, But yeah, when when you get it all right and then... Yeah, you have that sort of feeling where you, the car's just sort of almost floating on the road and yeah. you, you, you're one step ahead of it. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's an incredible buzz. But then you add in the, the challenge of it all, the teamwork aspect, the sort of adventure of it. Yeah. Um, there's there's so many elements. How dangerous is it? Like, because uh, it sounds really, really dangerous, but do people, have people died? Is that something that goes through your mind? Yeah, I mean, motorsport is inherently the, the dangerous sport, Um I mean, if you think you look at the statistics, people would often say to mum, you know, how are you okay with, with your daughter rally driving? And, and mum used to say she used to horse ride. <laughs> Do you yeah. know how dangerous that is? So statistically, yeah, exactly. That horse riding is, is I don't know exactly mm. statistically how many times, but a mm. lot, lot more dangerous. So yeah, there, I mean, there are, are risks because we're trying to push to the limit of grip in the middle of a forest, um, but the cars are incredibly safe and there's so much technology that goes into keeping those cars strong and, and all the, the equipment that we wear, the, the seats that were in the harnesses, the roll cages, the, the extra um, strength that we build into the cars. So, I mean, you're never going to completely eliminate the risk out of anything you do, but it's, yeah, it's a very uh, calculated one. We know, um, you know, what, what we're, what we're, we're doing and, um, yeah, if things go wrong, um, we have as much protection as we, we possibly can. Um, a couple of years ago I had a, had a big impact. It was like over 12G um, and yeah, you like walked away with a bit of a tight neck for the next couple of days. Wow. Okay. So it's, um, yeah. The, because it, of all on the, the safety scale. equipment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's something that we don't take lightly and, and we definitely make sure that we, yeah, we think about that aspect is the, the sort of first step in building any car. Yeah. Pretty soon after you started driving, you headed off to Europe. Um, why Europe? Why did you do that? That seems like a massive step so early on in your career. <laughs> Seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Europe is is the mecca for motorsport, uh, particularly in rallying. We have a great motorsport scene in Australia, but it's mm. you know, supercars is really the, the biggest category mm. by a huge, huge step. Uh, most of the rallying, all the young junior categories are all in Europe. So they have one make series where everyone's in one car that's all uh, cost controlled and it, it's the same for everyone. And then you might have Know, 10 or so of the best young juniors going in and fighting, which we didn't have that sort of depth in Australia. So I thought that that was the, the next best thing to sort of prove myself as a young driver in something that was um, more achievable from a cost perspective as well. Um, so, yeah, it seemed like that was a good idea. I'd go over and try and see where I really stacked up. Yeah. And then if it all went bad, I'll just come home. <laughs> Because you've got 98 as well in your HSC, your end of school yeah. exams as well, <laughs> yeah. which pretty much says you could have chosen really anything. Competitive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, I started uni um, and I, I got through like one semester part-time yeah. <laughs> at the University of Sydney. I was doing commerce and I, I remember I started the second semester and I was working three jobs in between that to try and raise some money to go mm. over and do this one event in the UK, I thought if I could go over and do the, the last event of the season and just kind of see what it's like and try and meet a few people. Um, but I was trying to raise some money to make that happen. And I was sitting in a statistics lecture and I was like, oh, I'm too busy. I don't have time. You for this. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm just going to go. And so I, I just walked out and um, yeah, wow. then, then went over and did that one event and then ended up staying over there for four years. Uh, how do you reflect on those early times? I understand you were living out of a barn. How <laughs> tough was it for this Aussie girl who's just finished school, who's walked out of her lecture at Sydney yeah. Uni to then go to Europe and try to crack it? I mean, how hard was that, taking that step? Yeah, I remember thinking about it as this great sort of 
adventure and yeah. exciting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Then I then I remember landing in the UK and kind of sunk in that I was a long way from home and and I sort of was on my own to try and make it work and um, didn't yeah, have a, a lot of money and was sort of had enough to kind of get me over there. But then I had to figure out how to get the rest as I was there, which you know, I thought it would would all happen. But yeah, then the reality of actually what you had to do was um, quite confronting at that point. So uh, yeah, it was it was definitely um, like quite lonely a lot of the a lot of the time, and um, especially sort of when you're that age. I was like twenty. I remember, I remember oh, like having my twenty first was like Aww. at the workshop. I actually moved into the barn on my twenty first. <laughs> the barn. <laughs> that was a yeah. celebration. What was um, this barn? <laughs> um, so it was some friends uh, that worked at the workshop where the car was, mm-hmm. where they rented their sort of landlord's friend basically had a farm nearby uh, and they had this barn <laughs> and they had like the end of the barn that was converted for like living quarters for the farmhand basically. Sure. Oh. Uh, so it was really cheap. <laughs> um, and and yeah, so I was like, well, that sounds, that sounds perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah. Dirty, like, dusty. Yeah. But yeah. That, I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty well laid out, but it wasn't, you know, it was just the corner of a barn. So it was all yeah. fine until you know, the weather was bad or they were starting to do the harvesting and <laughs> putting all the grain in next door and it's going, <laughs> the dust is coming up through the floor. And, wow. Um, yeah, so it was cheap though. Yeah. <laughs> and a beautiful glamorous. country farm. So glamorous. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love that though. But how significant, only because, you know, you've achieved so much in the sport, but I love how at an early age, you obviously had to back yourself that you could do this and take such a massive step. How significant was that European trip to your career? Uh, yeah, I think it was it was pivotal for sure. I think, yeah, putting yourself out there and, and sort of putting yourself up against that competition and what you learned from all of that. Um, and I think being around the rally environment over there and the connections that you make and all those things. And really for me, without having the, the budget and the resources to say, you know, I want to do this series and then the next year I'm going to step up to this and kind of follow whatever ultimate path you would set out for yourself in motorsport. It was more of a case of, I'm going to do this and I'm hopefully that'll lead to something in which you meet someone who introduces you to someone and then that leads Networking. to something and, and it kind of, the whole, my whole career has kind of been a bit a bit like that but without yeah. putting yourself out there and being in those places to take hold of those opportunities, yeah. I don't think those opportunities would ever, would ever have come. Yeah. Were there moments before these things started happening for you where you thought you were going to go home when it was your 21st and you're quite lonely or was it um, all happening for you? Was there momentum there? Yeah, there was. There was a bit of momentum there. I think it, it was. It was pretty uh, up and down at, at times, and yeah, it definitely was. Yeah, at times where it was just like just not, not completely happy a lot of the time because it just always felt like hard work all the time, mm. and then you go home and it's just you sitting <laughs> sitting yeah. alone. Yeah. Um, so got to yeah, got to know a lot of good uh, UK TV shows, um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think. There, you know, I did meet a lot of great people and that was one of the the really good things. And after that first full year in the UK mm-hmm. and it was going really, really well. So that was kind of encouraging through the year. And then um, we were we were essentially leading the championship with one or two stages to go of the final race and, and we had a mechanical failure. Which um, championship? This was the Suzuki Swift Sport yep. Cup in yep. the British Rally Championship. Yep. and. We're at Rally Yorkshire and, uh, yeah, the fuel pump failed. And, and so at that point, the the prize for winning that was like £10,000 or something like that, yeah. which would have been 50% of the budget to yeah. do the next year. And so, yeah, at that point, it felt like, yeah, it was all, yeah. it was all over at that point. Um, but then through that process and through some rally friends back in Australia um, who were from Ireland and had rally friends in Ireland that were still competing um, they were basically, you know, talking about what, what happened and what I was doing and then offered me a car great. for the following year just to, oh, you know, bring it back at the end of the year type of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, things like that wouldn't, wouldn't have happened if hadn't been people hadn't seen what you, mm. you'd like, the effort you'd been putting in, um, yeah, throughout that year. And what you're able to do. Um, you're the British Ladies Rally Champion twice. Yeah. And then you were picked up in the World Rally Championship Academy. Yes. And you're in the academy of that, which meant that you competed on the World Rally Championship. Yes. As well in 2011. Yes. 
Is that the pinnacle? Is that yeah. like what you aim for totally. as a rally driver? Yeah, yeah. So I did two years of the British Championship and then again it was one of those things about being in the right place at the right time and the opportunity came out to take a, a spot in the selection for this uh, Pirelli Star Driver Scholarship, which was a funded drive in the World Rally Championship Academy, which was effectively the junior series, mm. uh, which again was something that I wouldn't have been able to fund myself. So this was, you know... The, a massive, massive opportunity mm. to compete on the world stage with a scholarship. So, yeah, had I not been over there, I wouldn't have got the opportunity to to yet try out for that and then and then get selected. And I remember a point of thinking, I think I can actually have a career out of mm. this and it's still a long road ahead, but that was kind of the first point where I really, they always dream that would happen, mm. but you sort of see that, like how this could actually potentially yeah, yeah. work. And then you won... The 2016 came back to Australia, Australian yeah. Rally Championship, first female to ever win it, but also the youngest driver, male or female. For you, with your family history in the sport, with your mom a four-time champion as a co-driver, what did that mean for you? What kind of validation for all your hard work was was that moment? Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's always the the international dreams, yes, for sure, but winning the Australian Rally Championship especially with all that history, was certainly something that, uh, you know, it's always been a dream. But even at that point, it was kind of a, like a future dream. I didn't actually think, you know, that year that it was, it was achievable. And um, yeah, I mean, to be the, the first female to do it, I think at the time I was like, well, like what, okay, whatever. <laughs> like it yeah. doesn't, you know, if I was a second or fifth or whatever, it'd mm-hmm. still be just as a, a big an achievement for me. But mm-hmm. I think what it did do from a broader perspective um, in terms of visibility for younger girls mm-hmm. and mainstream media attention and then how that got in front of more younger girls, I think that that was a really special thing to reflect on mm. after the fact. I was about to say, um, does that come later yeah, that, yeah, in your career so. where you're like, okay, well, yeah, now I can give myself yeah. credit for what I was able to do there and yeah, how yeah. big a moment that was because it's not a, not a small moment <laughs> <laughs> at no, all, being the uh, yeah. first female driver. I think for me, I was, I was more proud of being the youngest. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that meant a lot more to me, although since then Harry Bates uh, has beat me. <laughs> <laughs> so he's one an hour younger than I did. So, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> still like dumping a conversation. like a sibling that, <laughs> yeah. that would do that. I know, right? It's always, yeah, yeah. it's always the way, isn't it? Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's, he's doing amazingly well, so he yeah, thoroughly <laughs> deserves that. But, yeah. <laughs> I was allowed to hold on to it for like a year or two. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think uh, having having my mum as my role model and I suppose, you know, that there's always um, mental challenges to overcome when you're sort of surrounded in that environment and extra people watching what you're doing or wanting to see what the girl does or how the girl goes and feeling like you've always got to prove yourself a bit. But I think a lot of that initially having those thoughts of is this something I should even try I never had because of my mum, but I didn't really realise that until, yeah, I was able to look at it later on retrospectively. So I think now then that's where I, you know, am very happy to, if I can help um, other girls feel the same way because I was just so lucky to already have that as just my, you know, day to day. Was your mum always there? for you for information how big a role did she play obviously you can tell growing up looking up to your mom doing everything she did and being the trailblazer would have impacted but for you personally and in you know day-to-day kind of stuff like what role did she play and what impact did she have I think it's a lot of I mean for both my mom and my dad just kind of by example was a lot of it um you know mom she never liked to talk about the female card Mm. um and yeah, almost too much, I think, because she was just so much wanting to be there for what what she was contributing. But I think it, it taught her me era that too, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, that she and had that's to be that way. Yeah, and we talk about that a lot because I sort of I I'm now telling her that you know she needs to speak out more rather than just you know keeping her head down and getting on with it mm. because um, yeah, we, the times are changing even yeah. more, and I feel like I'm yeah you can celebrate it yeah. exactly yeah yeah where it was never. It was never anything. She's actually, um, as we speak, on the Nullarbor driving a semi-trailer back from Perth. <laughs> Your family. So cool. <laughs> that's her holiday. She gets really excited about yeah, spending four days in a truck. Yeah. She loves it. That's awesome. <laughs> she loves it. But, um, I mean, even my dad as well, you know, when we when she would go away, he would be, 
you know, and making us lunches and doing the school drops. And was actually like when mum came home, I remember us sort of being <laughs> a bit disappointed because dad always made better lunches. So we were kind of like, oh, dad's so much better at this. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think just, just having all those, that yeah. kind of um, childhood, I was, I was so lucky that it really was, you know, a partnership. Yeah. Equal partner in the home, obviously as well. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. That's, that's a really cool, two really great examples <laughs> to have. I did want to talk to you about the state of women in motorsport and in in rally car driving, what is the current state at the moment? Has it, when you consider your mum being such a trailblazer, you being such a legend um, and having such an impact on the sport, but has the rate of change in your sport for women been at the rate that you would expect? Uh, I think we always want the rate to be faster, uh, but it's definitely changing. And I think, yeah, I think a lot of it to do is with the grassroots level of the sport, ultimately, like any sport, the more you have at the base, especially in motorsport, even more so because I think it is such such a funnel uh, from starting a grassroots to then continue it all the way to a professional level. And we didn't really touch on grassroots for you because obviously you came into it a little bit later. But yeah. is that does that start at karting, or uh, is that more traditional motorsport? Yeah, that that's more traditionally for circuit rallying. Um, we have sort of motor carnas and carna crosses, which is like, you know, in a big paddock with some witches hats and doing cool. some handbrakeys and yeah, <laughs> all yeah. That, that sort of stuff. So that's, yeah, that when I started, that's, that's what I started yeah, yeah. doing. Um, so yeah, encouraging a larger percentage at that level is going to help us filter up to the top. So I think, yeah, the, the frustrating thing is it's a longer process because it's such a tough sport. You mm. need to have the car and the sponsorship and the team and, and so many things. And then the time in the car to learn, it's not like you can just go and Wing kick a footy mm. or, you know, mm. play a bit extra and stay back an hour later than everyone mm. else and do a bit more to get ahead. You need to have all the things to even start to learn. So it's it, it's really tough combination to put together. And then when you only have a small percentage at the start, the likelihood of, of that, you know, those being the, the competitors that make it through, it just gets like a less and, and less chance. So um I think, it, you know, it's becoming a generational thing. I think now at Grassroots we're having so many more females get involved and we have mm. uh, things like Girls on Track, which is uh, a global initiative. Uh, we run one in Australia and we get school girls out to sort of experience. Great. Yeah, not just yeah. driving but engineering or being so a mechanic, great. everything. So then these girls are going to be the ones that then, you know, starts pursuing at a Grassroots. So yeah. I think, you know, it's going it's, to it's unfortunately going to take longer than we want but I think we're making some... Some some real yeah. progress. Have you faced sexism within this? It is a male-dominated um, sport, but have you faced instances of outright sexism that stick in your mind throughout your career? Yeah, I think I think for the most part there's been, you know, more support than detractors mm -hmm. overall. Um, so I think it is a very supportive sport and I think everyone wants to see more females um, mm -hmm come in. But I think, you know, particularly probably for me at the younger levels when everyone's trying mm. to prove themselves and if you've got, you know, like an 18-year-old guy and an 18-year-old girl, I think there's a lot more um, pride on the line mm. if if he's beaten by a girl and then the other competitors say, oh, you know, you got beaten by a girl. So there's definitely... Which is ridiculous, right? Is there a physical advantage <laughs> to being a guy no. doing this? No, not no, not at all. Well, obviously not. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a physical sport, but it's not you're not using anything to your maximal sure. capacity. So yeah. it's not like an athletic sport so in that's that sense. A culture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think yeah, at that younger level, and now I think it's you know it's great that we're at a, a point now where you know it's a lot more like in the Australian Championship. We're all competing against each other and if one person beats the other person, it's all, you know, we're all competitors. But I think, yeah, still on the the higher levels, it's, yeah, there's still definitely that um, to to some degree, but I think that's definitely, the, the narrative's changing a lot, mm -hmm. even from when I first started to where I am now. I mm -hmm. think there's been a, been a, a massive change and I probably, um, you know, maybe a bit like mum at the beginning, you just kind of like learn to, laugh it off and one of the boys and you're almost like you're just um, complacent with it and it's just how it is and, and whatever and you just you just move on and now I think we're getting to a stage where we can sort of Call have out. the backing and confidence mm. to say, well, no. And and from the other side that, you know, the, the people are recognising we don't need to act like that. So, I, yeah, I think we're definitely, definitely making a lot of change. Have you had to have those conversations and call things out? 
Um, I'm, I see that's something that I personally need to be better at because I've spent so long just being like, oh, yeah, she's, you know, she's cool. She does, you know, she's all right. She's one sure. of the boys type, sure. of, type yeah. of scenario. Um, so, yeah, I think that's something that definitely I'm working on. Um, Do you think your family's history in the sport shielded you possibly from a lot of that? Like, obviously, you experienced your own, but do you think another female, you know, heading into your mm. position in those early stages would have felt the same? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, actually. I haven't haven't thought about that. I would say not so much now, but, yeah, yeah. Back, back then, like, potentially, I, I'm mm. not sure because I know, you know, on one side it's it's extra pressure if you're coming from, you know, a family with sure. with cred yeah. in the industry and mm. there's an expectation, but on the flip side, yeah, you have that um, that that resource to learn from, but also yeah, that that kind of um, that backing. Uh, so yeah, you know, maybe who knows? That's a, that's a good question though. Um, and my other question is because I felt like this in sports journalism, entering it when it was such a male dominated, still is, but in those early days, extremely male dominated. I felt like if I made a mistake, it wouldn't be about Sam Squires. It would be about the girl reporting on sport. Yeah. Is that the same? Do you feel that or did you feel that in motor racing where you're like, if you do make a mistake, it would be blamed on your gender. Um, and then you felt this pressure yeah. to be female and to get it right for everyone. Otherwise, they're going to write off every female. Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think I mean, I've just started doing some broadcasting as well. So, yeah, like it's um, it's a different environment altogether. Uh, but, yeah, for sure, you, it's, um, yeah, having that, that, it was almost like, you know, when you when you achieve something, um, a sense of relief because now <laughs> it's like if, if I make a mistake now, at least I've proved I can, I can do yeah. it. Um, and I remember back in, in 2013, I was competing in the European Championship mm-hmm. and they had a ladies' class within the European Championship. But it had like, I think there were two, maybe three of us. Um, and it wasn't really that competitive. So, mm. um, you know, we could we could easily win that category at a race we went to, but that was kind of the the team sponsor's focus for the year. It was like they wanted to have that trophy at the end. So that was every time we went to an event, it was like, like you just need to win that, which basically meant you just, you know, drive around at 70 or 80% and don't right. make a mistake. Yeah. So then you go into events, yeah, with, with that in your mind, like don't, don't be the one to make a mistake and drive mm. slowly. But then your times look slow. So then people go, oh, they, you know, you're not competitive against oh, man. the, the yeah. overall sort of category. Um, but then you also get into the point where you're like, well, I don't want to make a mistake because I don't want to be sort of not fast and make a mistake. At least yeah. if you're fast and you make a mistake, you've got – so then, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just oh it's God, a horrible so much, place right? to be. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really hard to get out of um, yeah. without, yeah, like without being able to just go, it doesn't matter what anyone thinks, just go for it and if – if I go off, I go off. Um, but yeah, it's a similar. Male drivers are like, yeah, I fast or not. They have <laughs> all these other kind of pressures and things to think about. Yeah, That's intense. Yeah, yeah. So that 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 wasn't fun. No, it <laughs> wasn't a fun year. You last year competed in the first ever Extreme E Championship. Um, explain to us what Extreme E is. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, all new series. So basically, we have electric SUVs mm-hmm. uh, that are sort of like a big, a massive buggy type looking yeah. race car. Uh, and we take them, they go on a ship and they sail around the world and go to remote locations that have been affected by climate change. Oh. So we've been to uh, Senegal in uh, Africa. We went to Greenland, a uh, race just near the uh, mm-hmm. ice caps and all these incredible places. So the idea is that it's... Um, using the power of sport and, and motorsport to showcase these issues. Mm. Uh, and then we do a lot of work in within the local regions of... Because they're electric cars. Yeah, they're electric yeah. cars. Uh, we have hydrogen chargers that come to charge the the cars on, on site. So, yeah, about showing what the future of the automotive industry is and how we can be sustainable, how we can use sport sustainably and how we can use the, the platform and how many people watch sport to be able to educate all these issues as well. Yeah. Um, and then the the category as well has a 50-50 male-female split. So each team has two drivers, one male, one female. So that, to be cool. honest, has been such a, a massive thing for the visibility of, of yeah. females in motorsport, but yeah. also for the development because now all the teams have to have to invest in yeah. helping develop female talent because it's in their interest to have the best 
female. So what, there'll be no unconscious bias blocking exactly, females. Exactly, because I mean that, that's up. that's one of the issues. Is it's it gets to a point where it's not it's not like another sport where you can just practice on your own. You need the opportunity to practice to be better to then be in a, a point where you're you can be on the level playing field. So, sure. um, yeah, to be able to kind of create a scenario where that's got to happen for females. Yeah. Um, you don't have to go yeah. slow or go at yeah, 80% yeah, or anything yeah. now. Like, exactly, yeah. So wow, it's, um, that's cool. Yeah, it's what incredible. a great idea. Fascinating yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, it's quite huge and <laughs> <laughs> your team was, yeah. um, you got the call up from former Formula One world champion Nico Rosberg yeah. as well. Um, yeah, I got FaceTime. Yeah. <laughs> Was that? Quite cool. Take me through. The, yeah. Just called you up. Yeah, yeah, and said, "Do you want to? We're putting a team together." And um, it was on FaceTime yeah, with four-time world rallycross champion as well, Johan Christofferson, a Swedish oh, driver, wow. and yep. and yeah, Nico's team and the their sort of uh, the operational side was the their team that runs the the DTM, the German touring car team. So it was yeah, an incredible bunch of people, and yeah, it was was. Amazing. This was during COVID when we we're in lockdown and all yeah. motorsport had stopped. So yeah, yeah, there was absolutely nothing going on. And then to go from not knowing if you were going to do anything again yeah. to, uh, to that was amazing. Um, were you pretty cool playing it cool? <laughs> or are you now at a stage where you're so well renowned cool. that you're no. like, no, that's no. cool. Yeah, you should be excited about being with me. But no, I was, yeah, I'm not good at playing it cool at all. <laughs> but I, yeah, the, I got an email first through my website and I thought it was a prank. So I was a bit like, okay, yeah, funny. Uh-huh. Who is this? Harry? Yeah, someone's bored in like, yeah, 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 one exactly. of the Bates boys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then when the FaceTime call happened, that was, yeah, it's like, oh, oh, okay. That's yep. awesome, babe. That's really, really cool. <laughs> and um, not only that, you won it. Yeah. yeah last year. Yep. Yeah. We uh, had a, a yeah a crazy year. Um, won yeah three of the five events and won the championship overall. How different is that um, event to what you've been doing before? Completely different. Yeah. In, obviously, those points that you brought up before, but in terms of physically um, on the road, how. How yeah. different is it? Are the courses different? Or? Yeah, courses are different and they're a lot shorter because um, we obviously, with the with the batteries, we don't sure. have, um, you know, huge ranges. So it's more like rallycross. So it's side by side, sort of eight, nine kilometre track. But the tracks can be just depending on where we are. So it's... Um, oh, so you're competing with the other cars side by side, do you yeah, mean? Yeah, so you're oh, side by yeah. side, um, which was something that was completely, completely new for me. Yeah. Um, and Makes I remember, it more dangerous, doesn't it? Um, it can get pretty hectic. Yeah. <laughs> it can get pretty rough. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it's it's a fantastic spectacle. They've done a really good job of creating something that's not only really purposeful, but uh, as a sport to watch. Yeah. Yeah, because everyone's just going flat out and there's like jumps and drops and like everything. And then there's like five cars at a time with the rolls like jumping and landing in different places. And cool. Yeah, there's been some, some pretty spectacular yeah. <laughs> action. But I remember the second... Uh, Oh, sorry, third round, um, we were doing the first five-car final and I was starting. Um, so normally you drive and then it's like a, a relay and then mm-hmm. the other driver drives. Um, so I was starting on the final and um, Sebastian Loeb, who's nine-time World Rally Champion, was was next to me. He'd been my hero <laughs> growing up and I was sort of sitting on the start line. I was so nervous and then I looked over and went, Okay, don't. Yeah, I can't. I can't focus, look there because it's like this is too much. And then we're going like side by side into the first corner wow. and I was like, it was, yeah. And you beat him. Uh, well, they, they actually got it. He, he beat me to the first corner and we were second. So I was like, I can take, I can take that. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, then he got a puncture actually. So. But you're the world champ at the end of the day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so out of all that. I know. Very yeah, cool. cool. Um, is the electric car, do they still go as fast? Yeah. Um, the, the cool thing about electric cars is you have, you don't have any lag, so you basically have instant acceleration. All the power's there yeah, as soon right. as you put the um, put your wow. foot down. So, from that perspective, the the performance potential in EVs is is incredible. Um, yeah, so I think it's it's really really exciting because it's not it's not like you know you have to compromise the fun of driving or performance or yeah. anything like that um, to then go down that path. Wow. Um, I want to talk to you about, because earlier this year you competed in the Dakar Rally. I've reported on the Dakar Rally every <laughs> January. Awesome. We always do stuff with awesome. everything that I've ever worked with. Um, awesome. Always pick out Toby Price and yes, everything and, and report on it. Um, but it's so iconic um, and it's so different and it's so mind-boggling. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> is it something that's always been a little bit on your bucket list? Well, I, yeah, I think, I mean, like you, every January, um, you know, at home, we would watch, watch it since I can remember. It was just what the good TV viewing was in January. It was <laughs> every night to get all the day. The Taylor family, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of always been, you know, like, you know, one day before I retire, like, you know, one day I'm going to do a marathon or an Ironman and I was, one day I'm going to do Dakar type of type of thing. Yeah. Um, and then with the Extreme E and doing more off-road events and um, started, yeah, trying to explore more options to do more practicing yeah. off-road and um, started working with a, a team, South Racing, over, over in Europe and they have won their category in Dakar five times in a row. So um, they, yeah, only a couple months out, they sort of said, do you want to do Dakar? <laughs> like yeah sure I have no idea wow. what to do but yes sign me up so it was a massive learning experience and just yeah it's just incredible for those who aren't into um motorsport explain Dakar rally uh so yeah the Dakar days. rally it's like um it's like orienteering for two weeks in the desert um <laughs> in motor vehicle. Yeah. which yeah so the, I mean it's about it's eight and a half thousand kilometers all up over two weeks uh we, we were in a Can-Am buggy so yeah, like a an off-road buggy, you know, sort of no, like just like a roll cage around mm. you, not not a car itself. Um, yeah, and you're going through every type of terrain you can imagine in the middle of the desert, um, trying to to go off bearings basically in the stages, you know, three, four, no five hundred kilometers. No, lots of airflow through the open side. How hot so is it? You're in the middle of the desert. Um, it's in their winter, so I mean, still oh, right mid thirties. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's hot, but it, yeah, it's not not fifty degrees or anything like that. But yeah, yeah it's still it's hot um, and long. Really, yeah, really. Long. You're in the car all day, every day. No pit stops, no pit crews. We yeah, they have a refuel halfway through. That um, yeah, so you can stop to basically put some more fuel in the car halfway through the stage, and that's. Yeah, that's no it. GPS, no internet no. connection there. No, no, you have to see all your phone. You can't even have your phone on. Right. Um, if you turn your phone on, you're disqualified. So really? You're really, yeah, you're really out in out in the elements. How do you know where you are? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good question. I had no idea where I was. It's um, it's a different type of navigation. It's just the the navigation is so tricky. Basically, they give you a, a roadbook, so it'll say, go at a bearing for 200 degrees for five kilometers, and then at that, in five kilometres, take a bearing of 100 and then there'll be every 20 or whatever kilometres, there'll be an a electronic waypoint. So a point that the GPS or the, the system, the navigation system picks up and beeps to say, yep, you've got it, but you don't you don't see, physically wow. see the point. So you just have a beep. Wow. <laughs> so you can imagine so if you you're... around for ages just trying to find these beeps? Sometimes, yeah, Whoa. because if you're, if you're, you know, it's a needle in a haystack. Out, and then you turn your next bearing's yeah. off and your next bearing's off and then you can get to the waypoint and be completely in the wrong place but you can't go to the next waypoint because you don't know your bearing to start from so yeah it's <laughs> it's insane it's insane yeah. yeah so you could be way off yeah. track yep and in the crown the new series of the crown yeah. Dakar's <laughs> yeah well the, Margaret Thatcher's see, son yeah. got lost exactly. in the Dakar yeah. he was a rally driver yeah 100 percent. so I mean it'd be more crazy doing the Dakar in those days because at least now the, the event organizers know where we are yeah so you know if you got Okay. Yeah. So you got, got completely beacon. lost, or if you stopped, yeah. they they can contact you and ask yeah. if you're okay and and things like that. But if you if you basically ask for help, then you're, you're out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I mean, there's times where we were like lost for 45 minutes trying to find, which in a normal rally you think is just just wow. crazy, but that's what it's quite common. It's not. Um. You know, it's like it's part of the part of the challenge. Jeez, you have to get on with a co-driver. Yeah. I just think yeah. of. You know, when I get lost and I have to look on a GPS with my <laughs> husband driving, that's just, that ain't pretty. And that is not two weeks. Yeah, that is like yeah. two minutes <laughs> yeah, worth. Exactly. It gets ugly. Yeah, But yeah, is it frustrating with your co-driver sometimes? Like, are there those moments when you can't find these bloody yeah, beacons? Yeah, yeah, frustrating on, on both sides because you're both kind of trying to navigate at the same time. So because the co-driver's looking down, you're trying to watch the bearing. And as a driver, you have to, you know, if you go off and the co-driver's looking down, then you know, then, you, then it's all bad. So it's it's definitely something you work, yeah, together. You have to be really, um, yeah, really good at being able to problem solve on the run. Right. How did you go? <laughs> um, it was very up and down. We got to the finish, which um, was always sort of the first goal. Yeah. Um, to I mean, just to finish sort of Dakar is, 
is quite a um, yeah, yeah quite a feat. But um, yeah, we were generally running in the top ten, um, which was sort of the second uh, second goal. But yeah, yeah. had a had a few bad days um, uh, that yeah cost us. Like how bad? What happened on those bad days? Um, we well. I was getting a bit too excited in a rough section and damaged the car and we had to wait for, they have a truck. They also enter trucks in this race, which is crazy, <laughs> like competitive yeah. trucks that try and drive through the sand dunes yeah. as fast as they can. But we had one uh, that's basically the team support and they carry extra spare parts cool. on the car. So um, we had to wait like three hours. How did for you them damage it? What did you do? Um, uh, I ripped the <laughs> the left, essentially the whole left corner, all the suspension, wow, okay. the wheel, everything uh, off the car. Well done, Molly. <laughs> so it was like a three-wheeled car, basically. Wow. Um, so we had to wait to get the arm to there to fix the car and yeah. and then continue and do like 200 kilometres in the sand dunes at night time, which was wow. very sketchy. <laughs> do you just um, camp out? What do you do? No, you have to, you've got like a, a window of when you need to make it back to base, basically. Sure. So, um, yeah, you just yeah you just drive in the dark. And where do you stay in every night? So we have it's called the bivouac, which yeah. is like a a mobile campsite yeah. that moves to different locations. Mm-hmm. So the team itself kind of packs that up and moves it to the next location every sure. every night. Yeah. So it's an adventure for like Everyone. the whole crew. Yeah. It's, yeah. We basically go all over Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Over two weeks. Did you ever get bogged in sand? Yeah, How does that work? <laughs> yeah, you yeah. got stuck a couple of times. Not a lot, um, but yeah, definitely it can happen if you're in there's some bits that are they're just super steep and you're trying to navigate your way um, and, and the sand's really soft. So if you, yeah, like it's it, it's almost like climbing mountains of soft sand and then at the top it's like a mountain peak. So you've got to try and, yeah, carry enough speed to get up over them, but sometimes you don't know what's on the other side. And wow. So it's, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of times. It's sometimes better to get stuck <laughs> than, like, flip down the other side. Um, yeah, so, that, I mean, that's all, that's all, yeah, like, it's just, it's another type of adventure. Yeah. Has it yeah. lit a fire in you? Do you want more Dakar rallies or is it now you've like, yep, I've done <laughs> that? <laughs> no, I definitely want to do do more. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's one of those. It's yeah, it's like when you do any of those endurance type things, and halfway through, you're like, "Just get me home! Yeah. I'm so over this." And by day fourteen, just like day fourteen, we were trying to work our way back into the top ten again after yeah losing all the time, and then um, the brakes caught on fire. Oh, great! <laughs> so I had to put the brakes out with in the, the desert. The, the fire, fire out. yeah, yeah. We weren't even near any sand, ironically, at that point to help. So we were in the middle oh. of this rocky section, oh. and uh, the rear brake was on fire. And so I like had the camel back out and was trying to like put the fire out with the, the camel, camel back. <laughs> so that point was like, just want like let's just let's just get to the end of this. Wow! Um, but yeah, then by the by that evening, you're like, yeah, I did this there and that there and. Yeah. So fascinating. It's as fascinating as I thought it would be. Yeah. It is more fascinating than yeah. I thought it would be. And I had high expectations of my yeah. fascination with the Dakar rally. Yeah. But that is so very cool. It's unreal. Really cool. So what's next for Molly Taylor? It's a good question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I mean, it's been great. Last year was just, it was like one of the sort of hardest and best years yeah. that I've had. Um, I mean, with COVID, I got essentially stuck overseas for most of the year, not being able to get home. So I was, was, just had a suitcase and went from place to place every week, but was able to do extremely um, some some rallying over there in the WRC and the, the Dakar rally and some off-road things. So to be able to so do cool. all of that yeah. was just unbelievable. Um, and it's, you know, great to have, again, new opportunities that, that came up from doing something that, that led to something. So yeah. And WRC I mean, being the World Rally Championship, yeah. you're back on that. Yeah. Yeah, right. So... Uh, I mean, rallying for me is always kind of my first, my first love. Yeah. So that's um, that's something that I would love to. I don't have any um, sort of plans right now to do that in Australia here, but that's something mm. that, yeah, is always like the like my biggest my biggest passion. But then, yeah, yeah being involved with Extreme as well um, is yeah, it's an incredible championship to be part of. So that's an cool. international. So and then the Dakar Rally. So yeah, the plan is to try and keep keep combining as much much of those things as possible, but. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it, it's it's one of those sports that you sort of, you know, year by year <laughs> figuring out what's what's going to happen. Incredible yeah. pinch me moments, I think. So, yeah. yeah. Is there totally. anything else that you haven't achieved in the sport that you would love to achieve would be like the big goal? It's a 
good question. Um, I mean, Extreme E and and winning that was. I mean, that was that was the goal in the first right? year. But yeah, to have a, a world title is yeah. is pretty surreal. And I kind of I think got to the point where I didn't know whether that you know that would would happen realistically. Um, so to have that was was really cool. I think um, for me, you know, like a podium on the Dakar would be kind of the next. Why not box to tick. So cool. Uh, and yeah, I mean, if I could do another um, Australian title, Harry is been competing for the last few years and um, doing very well. So <laughs> I feel like we need to get those battles back on board because they're always fun when we. Uh, it's actually funny because we we sort of grew up together, and he's a bit younger than me, so he learnt his pace noting system through mine. So our pace notes, mostly all the drivers ah, are completely different, but our yeah, pace notes are actually same. very, very, very similar. So cool. that's always fun when we compete against each other because we can we can compare exact corners and work out who had the better note. Even though you're competing <laughs> against each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. Yeah, it's good fun. Well, it's funny you should say, Harry, because in each episode we ask someone that's close to you who's been along on the journey to record a secret memo. <laughs> That we then play to you for the first time. So we actually oh got, in, I got in touch with Harry um, <laughs> and he recorded this message. Oh dear, he's giving me cry. <laughs> hey Molly, um, Sam has given me an opportunity to say a few words on this podcast. So here goes. Um, as your friend, watching you achieve what you have in your career has brought me the most incredible sense of pride. Um, that's the only thing I, I can describe it with is it's just how proud I feel when you achieve such great results and probably two moments to stand out for me, a 2014 Rally Finland where you achieved a podium at junior WRC level. I just think that's such an extraordinary result for an Australian um, to achieve at that level of rallying and uh, obviously the Extreme E World Championship as well and in particular a couple of the rounds that year where you really dominated and, and proved yourself to be the best, the best female driver in the world. Um, another thing that I find amazing about you is what you brought back to Australia after your time in Europe in terms of the level that you were competing at over there and also the level of preparation that you were putting yourself through for each event. I actually think that's changed the sport here forever and it's made every single Australian have to be better and that's a real legacy I think that you've, you've brought to Australian rallying because, you know, me and, and so many of the other drivers and co-drivers here wouldn't be at that level without you bringing it back with you. Um, on a more personal note, I guess, I would not be where I am in my career without you. You took me on when I was very, very early in my rally career and showed me the ropes, showed me how to do pace notes, showed me all of your secrets and Although they may have come back to bite you in a couple of battles, we had close battles later on. I just, you know, I wouldn't be Australian rally champion without you. That much I can guarantee. And for me to to have the knowledge that I do about the sport and to have the knowledge that I did at such an early part in my career was all thanks to you. Um, honestly, I've basically got only, well, of course, I've got a number of people to thank for where I am in my career, but the biggest people are my parents and you. Um, yeah, I cannot thank you enough for what you've done for me and what you continue to do for our sport on a larger scale. It's, um, it's, it means the world to me. So, uh, yeah, thank you for being such a good friend and thank you for being such an amazing ambassador for our sport. He's going to pay for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Well, I was not expecting that. <laughs> Sorry for... Oh, God. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what to say. It was so sweet. It was really, really something, wasn't it? But do you give, let yourself give credit? Like we've talked about, you know, you being a role model for other little girls, but you've not only changed the sport for little girls, but you've changed it. For everyone in it, for guys as well. Like, do you give yourself credit for what you've been able to achieve? Um, I, I mean, I never thought about, yeah, what he was talking about. It's never crossed my mind before, to be honest. I mean, I know we've had a very close relationship and we joke about, yeah, me sort of helping him when he started and now smashing me and 
<laughs> me going, damn, that was that was, that <laughs> it was, was a like, close battle. Wasn't it wasn't help, but um, but yeah, it's something that I don't really, you know, yeah, no, I don't think I've thought about that. <laughs> we finish off every podcast by asking our guests what advice you would give your younger self if you could go back and and tell that. Little <laughs> ten or twelve year old Molly Taylor, who's obsessed with the question of venting and horses. <laughs> what would you tell her? Oh gosh, I think you know. I would. I know how I started in motorsport um, a bit later on. You know how that did help me, but I, I do think I would. I would tell her to just to give it a go earlier. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think there's so many things that that just look difficult to try or you're not sure of. And and then, I mean, I was the prime example that I didn't know how much I loved it until I tried it. So mm. I, I feel like if I had tried it earlier, maybe I would have found that that passion mm-hmm. six years um, earlier. So, yeah, I think I think that's something like with any sport, just to try to try more things. Mm. You're still Australian rally car champion, a world champion. <laughs> inspired generations of, of little girls and your peers as well. So uh, I, well, I feel like I wasn't very good you. when I started. Yeah, I loved it, but I wasn't very good. So then I had to, you know, I had to really work yeah. work at it. So, um, yeah. yeah, very cool. But it's a great message too. You don't know what you love until you actually, yeah, actually so. start it. So, yeah. yeah, it's a great message. Molly, I have loved these chats so much. It's <laughs> been making me cry. So, and we should explain there are a lot of tears with Harry's Harry's message there, but um, all well-deserved. And, yeah, I was in tears as well, so I get it. But thank you so much for coming in and, and sharing your story with On Thanks for having me. On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, Producer, Lindsay Green. Audio producer, Nikki Sitch. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggins.